grip. Hard grip to please. So I'm going to try not to please you. I'm just going to put all of you out of my head. Imagine you're not here and I'm going to talk as if there was no one in the room but me. Go hard, my wife says. It reminds me of a story, actually, now I think about it. There was a, uh, I read a story once about a pastor in a church and uh, he preached a message. And, of course, after the message he was feeling kind of down, flat, thought it wasn't really that good. And it was one of those churches where the pastor goes to the door and shakes everyone's individual hands as you leave. And um, so anyway, he's, he's at the door and he's shaking hands and he's thinking, that wasn't real good, it didn't land where I wanted to land. And this lovely old lady came up and shook his hand and said, Pastor, I want you to know it was a very good sermon today. And of course, he felt fantastic. He was chuffed, picked his spirits up. and he, but, but being a man of God, he straight away said, well, look, that's awesome. But let's give credit to the Holy Spirit. At which point she said, whoa, whoa, hang on, it wasn't that good. <laughs> that's why I don't shake anyone's hand on the way out. I don't really want to know, okay? Yeah. Okay, well, Christmas time. It's Christmas time, so here, here we are, the, the couple of days before Christmas, and uh, we're celebrating and uh, remembering the birth of Jesus. Actually, Christmas in our culture is, is, is uh, shared by two key figures, and one, of course, the one that the church celebrates is, of course, who? Jesus, exactly, and then there's the other figurehead for Christmas that retailers love, and, 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 and you know, he, he sees when you're sleeping and knows when you're naughty or nice, that's creepy, but um, anyway, and he is who? Santa Claus as well, he's Santa Claus. Um, so anyway, last night we were actually watching The Grinch, anyone seen the movie The Grinch? So we were watching The Grinch, it's, a, it's a, uh, the new one, and it's a lot more positive, I guess, than, than the other one, is The Grinch isn't so grinchy, but what he decides to do is he decides, Chris, uh, Santa gives all these kids toys and brings them joy. So what he's going to do, because of a lack in his own life, and he admits it's quite an interesting film, at the end he admits this, I, I'm lacking something and I thought this would fill the void, and of course it doesn't. But what he says is he decide, devises a plan, he's going to go into Whoville and he's going to steal the night before Christmas, all of the toys. Do the complete opposite. But of course to do that, he has to do the mathematics and the physics and the science and work out, so how does Santa Claus get around to every single house in one night and, and, and how many reindeer and, and he does all the math and all this stuff. And anyway, he comes up with a formula and in the cartoon it actually works. But I've done my own research and I know in real life it wouldn't. And so I want to give you some actual facts. Those of you that have watched The Grinch and think that was fact, it wasn't fact. It's not true. It's just a story. But these are actual real facts about Christmas and about Santa Claus. The weight of Santa's sleigh loaded with one beanie baby. Who knows what a beanie baby is? It's a little toy about so big. The weight of Santa's sleigh loaded with one beanie baby for every kid on planet Earth would make the sleigh weigh 333,333 tonnes. Could be a bit of a scam going on here, people. And by the way, I, if, if you, if you, I, I don't want to kill anyone's faith and belief in Santa. I'm just giving you the facts as they are. Okay, doesn't mean it can't happen. Just saying this is how it is. 333,333 ton sleigh. Now, the number of reindeer required to pull a 333,333 ton sleigh is 214,206. That's not including Rudolph. So that's 214,207 reindeer to tow a 333,333 ton sleigh. What are the chances? We could be getting conned here, people. The third fact, to deliver his gifts in one night. Now, let's keep in mind, he does this over one night. To deliver his gifts in one night, Santa would have to make 822.6 visits 
per second. That's only possible if the sleigh is going at 3,000 times the speed of sound. Now, come on, people. I think we've been had. I don't know that there's a lot of credibility in this story. In a matter of fact, the facts about the life of Jesus make more sense than the facts about Santa. But more people probably believe in Santa. Here we go. The last one. At that speed, at 3,000 times the speed of sound, being pulled by 214,207 reindeer with a 333,333-ton sleigh behind it, at that speed, Santa and his reindeer would burst into flames instantaneously. So it can't even happen. Santa's not everything he's been cracked up to be. I can see some heads dropping like, what? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying examine the facts, people. Examine the facts before you just buy into what society tells you. Let's examine the facts, people. Shirley Temple, I uh, came across this quote from Shirley Temple. She said, I stopped believing in Santa Claus when I was six. Mother took me to see him in an apartment store and he asked me for my autograph. For me, I started questioning it when I was a little kid. And, and I, I, as you grow up, you know, you leave the, the, the drink and the food and stuff for Santa Claus. You know, you put it out the night before. And I used to do that. And, and it just, as I got older, it just dawned on me as, as, I, as a little kid that it's funny. Santa drinks the same drink my dad drinks and eats the same chips my dad eats. So there became this bit of a correlation till eventually I think I'm wondering whether my dad is Santa. But then I'm thinking, but he was home last night. He didn't fly around the world. It's confusing. Anyway, you've got to let the facts speak for themselves. So at 21, I finally realised he wasn't real. (laughs) Some of us are slow learners. Some of us are slow learners. Up until a few weeks ago, I had another um, thing I believed in challenged, actually, and this is a bit more personal, a little more heart-wrenching. Um... I've always thought that my two youngest boys, Jordan and Jonathan, were about my height. So those of you that know Jordan and Johnny, I thought they were about my height. And so every time my wife would say to me, oh, they tower above you, they'd tell me like, oh, whatever, you don't know what you're talking about. They're, they're my height and so on. And then we were down in Port Macquarie. You should have let me emotionally build to that, Luke. That's, that's, I don't know if I can share now. Now, I don't want you to keep in mind, too, look at the position of the feet. Is anyone, anyone a fisherman here? What do you do when you catch a fish? You hold it towards the camera so it looks bigger. I'm holding my sons out, so they certainly look a lot taller than they are. But uh, I had to concede defeat when I saw this picture that, you know what, maybe what I thought about my height and my children's height and what I thought about that whole scenario wasn't uh, exactly true. Maybe I'd been believing something that wasn't completely right. So when it comes to Jesus, the simple fact is this, that there's a lot of stuff flying around out there, and it's not exactly right. And so I don't want to go into too much detail today, but I want to leave you with a very, very simple thought about Christmas. If you've got a Bible there, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. How many of you, when your children were born, you did a little thing in the paper, you know, the birth announcement? Anyone, anyone ever do a birth announcement? They used to be really big. I don't know if they still do them now. They're probably Facebook is now the new place where you have a child, they do a birth announcement on Facebook <coughs> and so on. Well, what we're about to look at here is the official birth announcement for Jesus. They didn't have the Jerusalem Times and they didn't have an editorial section. They didn't have Facebook and all that stuff. So God just sent an angel like you do. So an angel appears to these shepherds in a field who are out watching their sheep. 
And this is the official birth announcement of Jesus. Now, the difference between Jesus' birth announcement and the average birth announcement is when my children are born, I might say, oh, such and such was born, such and such a weight, such and such a time, and so on. But I don't know what their future holds. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what their life's going to be about. I have dreams and ideas, but it's, hey, it's their life. I don't know. But when Jesus came, right at the very beginning, God announced to the world, this is the purpose. This is the birth announcement. I'm not just going to tell you here, here, but I'm telling you what this life is going to be about and what this life is going to achieve. And when you read the announcements in the early parts of Matthew's account and Mark's account, Luke's account and John's account, you don't just hear about a baby that's been born. A baby being born... It's not necessarily great news. It happens all the time. I mean, it's great news to the parents and great news to the family, um, but it's not earth-shattering, world-changing news that a baby is born. And so Christmas, we talk about this baby in a manger, and we have these nativity scenes, and we look at little baby Jesus and all that sort of stuff. But at the very beginning, when this angel appears to uh, these shepherds, the angel goes beyond just the baby. You see, the, 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 the angel didn't come just to announce that a baby had been born. There was much more to it than that. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says this. It says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. Pretty fair call. How many of you would be terrified if you're out in the field with a couple of mates, and it's night time, and all of a sudden an angel appears, and lights shine around you, and so on. It's like extraterrestrial type stuff. I would have a reaction to that too. These people were reacted, and they were terrified. By the way, just a, a side issue. Um, uh, Luke here talks about the shepherds. In Matthew, if you read Matthew's account, Matthew, uh, Matthew actually talks about um, three wise men. You ever, ever seen that? He talks about wise men. And if you, if you have a look at both the accounts, they're actually both talking about different people. They're not talking about the same people. These shepherds are in the very vicinity of where Jesus was born. If you read the story, the very vicinity. And they came, and they, when they came to Jesus, he was still in the manger. The three wise men came from a lot further away. The three wise men followed a star. And when the three wise men got there, uh, if you remember the story, they went via uh, Herod, who was the Roman leader at the time. And Herod wanted to know where this baby was born. And of course, they, they went back to these Old Testament writings and the, the religious leader said, this is where he's going to be born. This is why. This is what the prophet spoke 700 years ago. 700 years before Jesus was born, somebody inspired by God wrote down on, a, on an old piece of parchment and wrote down the exact location where Jesus would be born, where the Messiah would come and so on. And so after they go to Herod, they, they go and see Jesus. And then when they leave Jesus, they don't go back. But Herod makes this decree. He says, every child two years and under, let's find them and let's kill every male child two years and under. So a time period has passed. So we're not talking about the three wise men, which reminds me, Dell, I was thinking of you the other day. I saw a Christmas card last year and it had two um, elderly ladies on it and they were debating about the whole nativity thing. And one lady turns to the other lady and she has this, this sort of look on her face and she goes, you know, a virgin birth I can believe, but three wise men... <laughs> Not sure about that part of the story. So going on in verse 10, it says, But the angel reassured them. angel said, Don't be afraid. He said this, and this is what I want to say to you this morning. He said, I bring you good news. Everyone say that, good news. Good news. When this angel turned up, the angel said, What I'm bringing you is what? It's good news. I'm here to tell you something Good. This is good news. How many of you know it's human nature that we want good news to be right, don't we? When we, get, when we get good news, we want it to be right. When we hear bad news, we want it to be wrong. 
we hear something tragic, a bad medical report, a bad report about a situation or somebody that we know. If we hear bad news, we want it to be wrong. But good news, we want good news to be right. It's like the other day, I'm, I'm very fortunate and very lucky. My life's about to change. I got an email from a fair dinkum, honest, she sounds grain of salt, salt of the earth type person, lady from Nigeria the other day. She emailed me and she said, you know what? My husband has passed away and he was an oil magnate and I've got 300 million US dollars. And, I'm a, and I googled and I found you and you seem like an honest, charitable, uh, integrous man and I want to give you this money. All you need to do is give me your bank details and I'll transfer it across. And I read that and I thought, I really want that to be true, but it's not. But I wanted it to be true. I wanted it to be true. I read a news headline the other day, Daniel, you'll be into this one, said KFC Zingerberg's secret to a long life. It's not true, but see the reaction straight away. He wanted it so badly to be true. He's like, oh, can it be true? And that's not true. It's not true. (laughs) CEO of Famous Footwear has encounter with God, decides to give every female pastor free shoes for the rest of their life. I knew. She wants it to be true. But it's not true. I'm sorry, it's not true. That good news is not true. Sydney Roosters under the salary cap. It's just simply not true. <laughs> Celery sombrero? Certainly not a cap, not a visor. Celery <laughs> beach umbrella? Celery roof? Yeah. Uh, I'll pay for that later. But the angel, <laughs> angel says, don't be afraid. He says, I bring you good news. But it's not just good news. This is good news that will bring great joy. So this is news that will bring joy to you. How many of you know the story of Jesus and the message of Jesus has been lost in translation somewhere and it doesn't always bring joy to people, does it? It doesn't always bring a positive uh, feel to people. It doesn't, and, and I'm not saying positive feel as in you should feel good about everything God has had to say, but what I'm saying is this. We don't see uh, the, the, the God that's being portrayed today is not necessarily always the God that we read about in the pages of this book. You know, I, I, it bugs me that the most vocal people in the media usually, and I'm, I'm not saying all the time, but usually the most vocal voices in the media that speak against God are people who've had a bad experience or have someone who's had a bad experience or have heard something bad about somebody, about someone had a bad experience and they get vocal and they get press and they get media because we live in a time and a day and an age where we're literally they are trying to take Christ out of Christmas we don't want the Jesus story to be a part of Christmas Christmas is festive Christmas is upbeat Christmas is a joyful season and we don't want Jesus to be a part of it yet the very first declaration of Jesus when he came on the scene was this hey this is good news and this good news is going to bring great joy It's meant to bring great joy. What this man's bringing, what this child will bring to the world will be a source of joy. But here's the kicker too. This is what's so exciting for you and me. He doesn't stop there. He says, what I'm bringing you is good news that'll bring great joy, here's the thing, to all people. Now, if you're a shepherd sitting there and you're hearing this and this angel appears, you're living in a particular agreement in a particular time where God has a very specific relationship to one nation, one group of people called the Jewish people. And the angel comes on the scene and straight away says, I'm predicting and I'm letting you know things are changing. God is now not just for you, the Jewish people. God is now for all people. 
That's why we can sit here as Gentiles in Australia and Ganelabar in 2019, tipping over to 2020, and know that the God that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, Timothy, the God that these people wrote about, spoke about, that what they're speaking about there, they're speaking to us. They're saying to us, that's exciting, that's great. Isn't that good? This is good news of great joy for all people. Good news. What was the good news? Well, the good news was not that a baby had been born. Babies are born all the time. And when your baby's born, it's incredible news. Who, who, who was over the moon when their, their children were born? It's just a joyous occasion and some of us cried and we didn't know what to do and we felt you know, like something had been added to our world and, and we wanted everybody to, to, to feel that way and to experience that. And, 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 you know, I mean, babies are born all the time and babies bring great joy to those that are close and those that are, uh, are closest to that child and those that are going to be impacted by the life of that child. I wonder if this is what the angel was trying to say, was this child will impact all people. This child's birth, this child coming into the world is going to have an impact on all people. Therefore, this child can bring joy to all people, doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, what your nationality is, what you've been through, what you've done, what you're thinking, what you're doing. This child, the life of this child, is going to, this child's going to do something and their life is going to bring great joy to all, to all people. But they weren't, the good news wasn't that a baby had been born, but the good news was that a saviour had come. Go back and have a look at what he said. He said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The saviour. Yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. The, the great news about Christmas is not that a baby was born. The great news about Christmas is that a saviour has come. A saviour has come. Now, I want you to imagine that you're a Jewish person for a second. And, and, and you have lived with the knowledge that the God, the creator of the universe, has an exclusive relationship with you. Now, there was a reason for that, and I haven't got time to go into that right now. Other than this, Israel was God's test crash dummy. If I can put it that way. God needed a focal point for all the nations of the world to look at and to be able to go, this is what it looks like when you obey and honour God. This is what it looks like when you live for God. This is what it looks like when you choose not to live for God and you choose to live apart from God. This is what it looks like when you listen to God's instruction to follow him. This is what it looks like when you take matters into your own hands and try to build your own life. That's what Israel were about, this exclusive relationship so that beyond a shadow of a doubt, everything that happened to Israel, people would look at Israel and learn something about the nature of man and God through this nation. Israel were waiting for a saviour. So the story of Israel is this. They follow God. When they follow God, things go good for them. They're on top of the world. They're on top of the food chain. Their armies are winning. You know, everything's good. Then they would choose to disobey God. They would make a decision and go, well, we're at the top here. Maybe they feel like they were self-made men, self-made nation. And they would turn their back on God and his ways. And every time that happened, they would plummet back down. A nation would come on in, would overtake them, would invade them, and they would become subservient to another group of people. They would humble themselves, cry out to God. God would come back. He would restore them back to the top of the food chain when they got back up there they do the same thing forget who got them there think they were self-made turn around start living for themselves again and they would get invaded and taken over again by this stage when the angel makes this announcement israel uh, have gone from under what the control of one nation to another to another at the time of jesus birth it was the roman nation's turn the roman nation were dominating them the roman nation were in control and israel was subservient to them israel were waiting for a saviour but what Israel thought the saviour would be was the saviour would come along and the saviour would be a military king, like King David. 
They thought that their leader would come and they would take up arms against their Roman oppressors and they would defeat Rome and that they would go back to the top of the food chain by physically uh, taking over and uh, overpowering the Roman nation. This is what they were looking for. This is why when news of the birth of Jesus got out, notice early on in the life of Jesus and throughout his ministry, crowds flocked to him. There seems to be, in, this, in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John's account of the life of Jesus, there seems to be more people for Jesus than there is against Jesus. Go back and read it. There are more people that are on the Jesus train than are off the Jesus train. Everybody wants this thing to be true. Everybody's cheering him when he goes into Jerusalem. The throngs come out. They lay down palm branches as he goes in to Jerusalem to hand himself over and to be crucified. And so on. But yet, once he's crucified and he's gone, the numbers seem to dwindle right down. They started out thinking this could be the military leader that we've been waiting for. But a military leader doesn't give up himself on a cross. A military leader doesn't hand himself over to the beatings, the torture, doesn't hand himself over to the humiliation and suffer the rejection and all the stuff that Jesus put himself willingly through. A military leader doesn't do that. A military leader rises up and strikes back. And Jesus didn't do that. So they started out with a lot of fanfare, this Jesus movement and people wanting him. But in the end they realised, they came to the conclusion this is not the saviour that we were thinking. So Jesus got pushed to the side and they got on with life and many are still waiting for the Messiah to come. They're still waiting. But they're waiting for a specific military leader. Yet when the angel came, the angel said something specific. He said, this is going to be good news of great joy. He said, it's for all people. This is not just for you as a nation. Surely that should have tweaked something that this Messiah, when he comes, this guy Jesus is not going to be a military leader who's just going to benefit the Jewish people. He's going to be someone that's going to do something else that's going to benefit all nations. You see, their image of, of the Messiah, their image of the Saviour, their image of Jesus was too small. Their vision of who Jesus was and what he was going to be about was way too small. Jesus didn't just come for Jewish people. He came for all people. Whatever Jesus was going to do with his life, he was going to bring great joy. It was going to be good news. And this good news was going to be for all people. Every single person. So why is the message of Jesus' birth good news of great joy for all people? Very simply, because all people need a saviour. All people need a saviour. That word saviour literally means a deliverer. In other words, every single person on planet earth, not just the Jewish nation who are under the control of Romans, every person on planet earth needs a deliverer. We need a saviour. Let me give you a very brief history of the story of this good news. You go right back to the very beginning in the book that we call Genesis, written by a man called Moses many, many years ago. And it says in the beginning that God created man. And God created us for a purpose, and that purpose was this, not that we would be slaves of God. God created us so that we would have relationship with him. It's funny, a lot of people think that God's all about rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. And I'll tell you what, if that's what God is about, then I understand why people want nothing to do with God. God is not a God of rules and regulations. Go back to the Garden of Eden. God creates this beautiful situation. He makes the, the plants, the trees, the mountains, the seas, the oceans, the rivers. He does all this stuff in the very pinnacle of his creation. Once he's established all of that, then he creates man and he puts man in the middle of that. We had some dinner the other night with some friends and we walked into their house and it was like they had the, the, the tablecloths out and all the glasses there and the plates. And it was just, I walked in that was beautiful. But you know what? It was, even though it looked aesthetically beautiful and was fantastic, the life really came about. You could tell that it was done not to be a, a, an end in itself, but it was all all set up so that when the people arrived they could enjoy it 
And that's how I see creation. God created this world, and, and the pinnacle of that was that when we came, so that we could enjoy that world. But we enjoyed that world in relationship with God. The Bible, uh, Moses wrote in Genesis that God used to come on down, and he used to walk in the garden with these people. They had relationship together one to another. And that was God's original intention. It wasn't that you would be religious, or that I would be religious. It was that we would have relationship with the living God that we would have a relationship, that we would listen to God. God still speaks to us. That we would, we, would, we would be friends with God. Not that we would learn all the dots and learn how to cross all the T's and dot all the I's. Not that we would learn all, all the, the tricks and the religious stuff and not that we would be like circus monkeys and that we would know how to perform for God who's sitting in heaven at a distance watching us, applauding us when we do good and cursing us when we do bad. We were created to have relationship with God. I love that picture in the Garden of Eden. You know what, what amazes me about the story of creation is this, and people who think that God is all about rules and regulations. You know there was one rule? In the very beginning there was one rule. That's it. One rule. And you know what? Here's the thing. I don't even like using the word rule because it wasn't even a rule. What did God say to them? He said this. He said, if you eat that tree... You'll die. In other words, don't go over there because I'm protecting you. I'm trying to protect you and letting you know that if you dabble over here, the impact is on you. God didn't say, if you eat that tree, I don't become God anymore. If you eat that tree, I get offended. If you eat from that tree, I... Hey, God is God. It doesn't matter what you or I do. That's not going to change it. You can love God more. It doesn't make him more God. You can hate God's guts. It doesn't make him less God. God is God. But he said, don't touch that thing. It's for your benefit. God's not a God of rules. He's a God of relationship. God creates us for relationship with him. And what ended up happening was Adam and Eve turned their back on God. They decided, hey, we can do this better. We can do this without you. We don't need you anymore. And at that point, the Bible says that this thing called sin entered the world. Let me give you a real simple definition of sin. Sin was an ancient archery word. They'd pull back a a bow and arrow and they'd shoot it and it would fly off through the air. And if it fell short of the target, there'd be a poor guy up the other end. Hopefully he didn't get hit by the arrow, but he'd be waiting up the other end. And his job was to call out, sin! And what it literally meant was the arrow fell short of the target. You didn't hit it. You didn't quite hit the target. Uh, Romans puts it this way. I think it's uh, Romans uh, 3.23. It says this. It says, for everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standards. Let me tell you something. There's nobody in this room that is good enough for God. That's the truth. According to what I read and how I interpret the writings in this book, this is what I believe the people that were closest to Jesus Christ, those that walked with him, saw him. This is what they wrote in here. None of us are good enough for God. That's the reality of the life that we live. All of us are born. We've already fallen short. Who's ever told a lie in their life? And the rest of you just told one then. <laughs> Caught you all on one. I don't even need the other analogies. I just got you all straight away in one hit. We've all fallen short. James, in the book of James, James says this amazing thing. He says this. He says, if you're guilty of breaking one of God's rules, you've broken them all. That's what he says. If you've broken one, you're guilty of breaking them all. And now, now, God set this whole thing up like this for a reason. Because for thousands of years before Jesus came, the Jews had these systems in place. They knew they were going to sin. They knew they were going to break God's laws. So every week and so, they'd get together and they'd kill an animal and chickens and goats and spill the blood and so on. And the blood sacrifice, basically what happens is the wages of sin is death. If, if you sin, you deserve death. And so God said, right, yeah, so you guys are sinning. Let's take it out on the poor animals. 
And so they were killing animals left, right and centre. It was a bloodbath in ancient Israel. And there's blood being spilled everywhere and all these animals are getting killed and so on. But the thing is, they were, when they were after the sacrifice, they'd, they'd make an appointment next week. I'll see you next week, Del, because I know I'm going to blow it again and we'll be back here next week. See you next week, Del. Go back to your week of sin and we'll come back again and make it right before God. Yeah. We come back and we kill another animal. And so there was this system in place where blood was spilled constantly because the wages of sin is death. When we break the standards of God, there has to be a punishment. Here's the thing. If there's no punishment for breaking a law, it's not really a law. It's just simply good advice. Can you imagine if, if the uh, government in our country and the police, and they said, look, here's the thing. It's Christmas time. You cannot break into Theo's house and steal all the presents under his tree. You can't do it. It's illegal. If you do, then there's going to be, uh, you could end up two years jail for breaking in or whatever. You can't go into Theo's place and steal his presents. But then what if you did do it? And they went, oh, well, we're not going to do anything about it. It was just simply good advice. We just thought it would be good enough to say it and there's no consequence. If there's no consequence, it's not a law, it's not a rich, it's simply good advice. Well, God doesn't dish out good advice. God's serious about his standards. So God says, you don't meet them standards. The wages of falling short of the mark is that somebody has to pay the price. Somebody has to pay the price for falling short. This is the, this is, this is the whole uh, story of Israel, the first half of your book, the Old Testament, in a nutshell. Mankind, God knew that they would keep failing, so God set up this system in place so that they could continue to maintain some kind of relationship with him by having their sins dealt with. But there came a time where God drew a line in the sand and he said, I'm going to offer one more sacrifice and that's going to be the final sacrifice for the sin of mankind. And that's the story of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus becomes the final sacrifice in the history of sacrifices. Once for all, one man shed his blood, paid the price for my sins, for your sins, for the stuff I'll do wrong in the future, for the things that have been done wrong in the past. One man, one final sacrifice shed for all of mankind. Why is the message of Jesus' birth good news, a great joy for all people? Because we all need a saviour, not just first century Jews in Palestine, every single one of us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this, it says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. Think about that. God's not going to like you when you choose to like him. He already likes you. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't start loving you when you choose to love him. He already loves you. Matter of fact, you can walk out of this place today angry, twisted, bitter, and hate God's guts, not believing in him. Let me tell you this now, and I don't want you to ever forget this. He will still love you. He will not turn his back on you. He won't walk away from you. He never has, and he never, ever, ever will. You know why? Because he's not looking for you to give him a reason to love you. He made a choice to love you 2,000 years ago when Jesus hung on that cross. That was God's way of saying you're worth it. It's God's way of saying you're valuable. It's God's way of saying I love you. It's God's way of saying there's nothing you have done, can do or will do that could ever make me stop loving you because you're my creation. I made you, I formed you, I fashioned you with my own hands. I know the very numbers of hairs on your head. Spend a little more time over here on some of you, a little less over there. God wants relationship with us. Why? Is it such good news? Because we all need a saviour, every single one of us. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were sinners. Why did God do this? Because he knows that we can never, ever live up to his standards. 
You ever have been in a relationship where you're constantly walking on eggshells, you're constantly trying to please that other person? Everything you do, you're, 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 you're working hard to make sure that other person is happy so that they'll like you, so that they won't be mad at you, constantly frustrated. It's a painful place to be in when you're in a relationship like that. I see people in churches who are like that with God. We're walking on eggshells before God thinking that God is waiting for us to slip up because God's nature is he's predisposed to punishment and predisposed to anger and predisposed to judgment. Couldn't be further from the truth when you understand the story of Jesus Christ. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever, black, white, yellow, red, rich, poor, morally bankrupt, physically beaten down, emotionally smashed. It doesn't matter. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever will believe in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. And don't forget verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn or to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him. The story of Jesus is not one of judgment. The story of Jesus is not one of human condemnation. It's an absolute pure story of perfection, God's perfection, loving, imperfect human beings like you and me. It's God's way of saying this, I know that you will never be good enough to reach up to me, so I've made a decision to come down to you. I've made a decision to invade your world and to live in your space because you'll never be good enough in your own merits and efforts to get up to my space. So I'll come down and I'll, I'll meet with you and I'll join with you and I'll be with you and I'll do it in your space. We can't live up to his standards. So he came down to help us. We can't perform our way back to God. Isaiah 53 verse 6, Isaiah wrote this 700 years, 700 years before Jesus came on the scene. And here's what Isaiah said. He looked into the future. We call them prophets. He looked into the future. And by the Spirit of God, he saw something. And here's what he said. Isaiah 53, 6. He said, All of us, all of us, every single one of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Just like Adam and Eve in the beginning. We don't need you, God. We can do this ourselves. We've all done it. We've strayed. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him, on Jesus, all the punishment of that. Everything I deserve, little old imperfect me, trying to match up to the standards of an absolutely perfect God, everything I deserve, Jesus took upon himself, not because of anger or rage. You know, sin wasn't even the focus. I was. Because God so loved us. God so loved the world he gave his son. Not God so hated sin. Please, stop thinking of God as this angry judge who's just mad at everything wrong. And if you're a church person here, stop thinking you're the moral police. You're not the moral police of today's society. You're an expression of the love of the Father to people. That's what you are meant to be. We're here to show the world what God looks like, and God so loves the world. So why is the birth of Jesus good news of great joy for all people? Because it's literally God's way of declaring, I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you. No matter what you're going through in life right now, I don't know everybody in this room, but I know your background, I don't know your pains and your hurts. You know, Christmas time is a joyful time for a lot of people, for a lot of people it's not. I was 15 years of age on the 24th of December, standing in a laundry in Mount Druid in Sydney. 
I got called out to the laundry. My sister was 11 years of age. No, nine. My mother came out and she said, I was sitting around the Christmas tree with my grandma. My mother comes and she says, Alan, out into the laundry now. I went out into the laundry and there's my dad and I love my dad. I love my mother too. There's my dad bawling like a baby. And my mother says to me, you choose, I'm leaving him. I'm not going home with you. Him or me, you choose. At 15 years of age, I didn't need that. So it comes around this time of year for me. Just another day. But Jesus makes it come alive for me. So it's not a great time of year for everybody. But I love the message of Christmas, and the message of Christmas to me was this. Jesus, uh, Alan, I was there when that happened. I knew what was going on, and I'm here right now, and I'm with you, and I'm here to help. And it's only because of God that I can stand here today and say, you know what, I love my mother, love my father. No bitterness, no anger towards them. Because God's been able to do something. He's been able to help me with those hurts, those disappointments, those wounds. I bet you there's stuff that's gone on in your life might not have even happened Christmas Eve. Hurts, disappointments, rejections. Things that you didn't plan to happen. Things you didn't think would happen. The message of Christmas to you is this. You know what? God was there. God knows. God understands. God's not angry. He's not mad. As a matter of fact, God is right beside you. He's closer than you think he is. He doesn't want to come into your world and turn you into a religious nut. He doesn't want to do that. He wants to get involved in your world. You know why? Because he made you. Life beats us down. Life shaves edges off us. It cuts us. It wounds us. And as we get older and older and older, you know what happens? We, become, we, we wake up one day and we realise that, that I'm not necessarily who I was meant to be. I'm a product of all this muck and rubbish and things that have happened. And I've turned into somebody I don't want to be. You go and ask people that are in destructive lifestyle habits and so on. Most of them will tell you, I don't want to do this. I don't know how to stop. I don't want to be this person, but I don't know how to change. We need a saviour. We need a deliverer. We need somebody to come into our world and grab a hold of our heart. We need to surrender ourselves to somebody else. We need to humble ourselves and go, you know what? I've done the best I can with, with what you gave me and I haven't done a great job. I've failed. Nothing wrong with saying that I've, I've done the best I can. But it hasn't panned out the way I know it should. God made you. The, the, the word of God here, the, the writers in this book here, uh, they'll, they'll tell you that God made you for a purpose. God made you with a plan in mind. He made you with a destiny in mind. The unfortunate reality is there's another spiritual force called the devil. And you can believe it or don't, but I believe in it. And he's doing everything he can to take you as far away from the plan and purposes of God for your life as he possibly can. The problem is most of us live devoid of the knowledge of that and we don't even realise what's happening. We wake up one day and we realise we're way over here. The older we get, the more we reflect on our life and we think, man, I, my, I wanted to be that, I'm over here, I'm now stuck in my ways, I can't change, I can't this, I can't that. Yes, you can, but you can't do it on yourself can't do it alone you need jesus we need a savior we need god to come and fix those cracks we need god to come and give us understanding we need god to come and walk us out of some of the pain and the muck and the slime and the stuff that's stuck to us and the places we've got bogged down in life we need jesus to take us by the hand and we need to humble ourselves and we need to learn to walk with him and i'll tell you this he's got one plan that is this he wants to make you fully human again that's what he does God created humanity. He knows how to restore us. My old man, my dad, 
when I was a kid. He, he used to, his favourite place, and I'll finish up with this, his favourite place in the world was the rubbish tip. Any other men relate to that? I'm, I'm like my dad. I've got a lot of my dad in me. Uh, if I wasn't married to, to this beautiful woman over here who's ruining my life and not letting me have collect all the junk and rubbish that I want, but I'm sure in the long run it would be good. But if it wasn't for Jackie, I would have sheds. I'd be like my dad. My dad's got three sheds in his backyard, and he built the sheds out of rubbish he picked up from the tip. So he goes to the shed to get rubbish to build sheds to put stuff from the tip in his sheds. That's what he does. He loves it. And anyway, when I was growing up, I remember that my dad used to do that. He'd take me to the tip for a day out. I'd get in the back of the old Kingswood and uh, back before seatbelts and that, and he'd go flying through the country roads out near Barradine, out west New South Wales. And we'd get out to the tip out near Guriana, a little place called Guryanawar Valley where there was a little tip out there. And back then you could go into the tip and you could take stuff for nothing. You didn't have to, you know, it's all council owned now and you're making money when you dump it, making money when you take it. Back then you just went in and out as often as you wanted. So we used to go in there and my dad would go in there and he'd spend hours. He'd walk around the tip and he'd see this thing go, oh gee, I can't believe someone threw that out. And he'd pick it up and put it, much to my mother's, she wasn't really into it. But anyway, he'd load up the car with stuff, come home, he'd go out the back and he'd put it in his shed. And then he'd spend time with it. He would pick up this, this old toaster and he'd, he'd bring it apart. He'd, he'd clean all the muck and the rubbish and the gunk out of it. And there'd be rusted parts. He'd get his sandpaper and he'd sand it back and his grinder and he'd cut. And he'd go and find another old one. He'd pull this piece out, that bit out, and he'd put it together and he'd build it and he'd make it to a place where it was working again. He'd restore these things. In other words, what somebody else said was rubbish. My dad saw value in that. He saw value in it. And he also had the ability to pick up somebody else's rubbish and to work on it and to spend time with it and to love that thing and to restore it and to bring it back to life where it became useful again. That's what my dad did. And every time I think about that, I think, God, what a great picture of you. What a wonderful picture of God. Some of us have been discarded. Some of us have gone through things that have made us feel like we're not worthy. Nobody wants us. We've been broken. We've been chipped. We've got rust on us. We've got mud in us. And God comes along and he picks us up. He says, if you will let me, if you will let me, I'll begin a work of restoration on you and I'll change you. And that's a promise from God. And I'll back that promise. 19 years of age, a very insecure, quiet, depressed guy. I used to go to bed at night when the music was off and the party was over and all the alcohol and everything would wear off and I'd be laying there by myself and I'd lay there staring at the roof thinking, if this is all there is to life, what's the point? I'm now 27. (laughs) 47, but I look about 27. And I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, I can't explain to you how God does what he does in the human heart. I haven't got a manual for it. But I can promise you this, he does it. And he does it better than anything I can think of. Can we just close our eyes, bow our heads for a second here? I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this. I'm just going to ask you a simple question. Here's what I believe. And I'll reiterate this. God doesn't want to turn us into religious freaks. It's not his job. It's not what he wants. Religious nuts. And I'd say that with respect because some religious nuts, they're just nutty people. They were, they were nuts when they were religious and nuts when they weren't. So it's not that religion changed them. But I just want to say this. God is, not in the, God is not in the business of trying to turn us into religious people. That's not his job. He actually wants to get to know you. He wants you to get to know him. He wants to help. The story of Jesus is this. God left heaven and came down to your realm to help you because you need a saviour and so do I. If there's anybody here and you have not given your life to Jesus, you've never opened up your heart and prayed and invited Jesus to come on in. Or maybe you're here and you have but you know that you've drifted, you know that you've gone cold. 
Count of three, I'm going to ask you to do a simple thing. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Everyone's eyes are closed, heads are bowed. Just raise your hand. That's just your little tiny step of faith saying to God, God, that's me. God, would you do something in my life, Lord? I open my heart up to you. Would you come into my world? Would you do something? Would you transform me, God? Would you reveal yourself to me? If that's you, on the count of three, just put your hand. I'm not going to labour on this. One, two, three. Anyone here? Thank you. Anybody else? Awesome, that's great. Let me pray for you. Father, I want to thank you for uh, the birth of Jesus, Lord. Not just the birth of a baby. God, that happens all the time. But the birth of a saviour. Lord, in 2019 in Australia, we we really don't understand the concept of a saviour. Lord, we think we're self-made. God, we think that the answer is another car or a bigger house. We think the answer is another partner. Lord, we think the answer is more money. But Lord, most people that chase that will attest to the fact that when you get there, it's just as empty as it was before. And Father, I pray for each person in this place, Lord, over this Christmas period. Lord, as we open up our gifts on Christmas morning, Lord, I pray that we'd stop, we'd reflect, and we'd think about the gift you gave us, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that as every gift under that tree is given to us specifically to benefit us, Lord, we would understand that Jesus came not to take from our life, but to benefit and to add and to give us those things that would help us have a full and a quality life. And Lord, I pray also, Father, for those uh, that are here this morning that, Lord, maybe this is not a, a wonderful time of year. Lord, maybe this time of year brings a certain amount of pain, a certain amount of angst for them. Lord, I pray, Lord, that, uh, God, would you do something beautiful in their life over these next few days? Lord, would you help restore that memory? Would you help uh, turn that situation around, Father? Would you let them know that you're there? God, let them know that you're aware. Father, let them know that you're here to help if they would just turn their hearts towards you and cry out to you, Father. And Lord, for each of us that, uh, Lord, claim to know you, I pray in the next seven days, Father, would you give each and every one of us a chance to tell somebody about you, Lord. Somebody out there in our community that we know or we come across, somebody who doesn't yet know the wonderful story of Jesus Christ. Father, give us a chance to tell them, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Uh, Have a safe Next few days, safe Christmas. If you're travelling, be wise on the roads. Double demerits, so don't go a kilometre over because they're watching you. Police are watching. I've seen the cars everywhere. Uh, Please don't feel like you've got to run off. There's a morning tea left there. Have we got some sausages uh, just out the back there, sausage sandwiches, so please please feel free to hang around. Uh, But for the rest of you, we'll catch you uh, next Sunday if we don't see you during the week. Bless you guys.